0: hey everyone it's michelle collins it's midnight snack we call it a late night podcast how many of you actually listen to it after 11 p.m don't 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 listen to it in the daytime i say late night podcast but dan do you really listen to it after 11 no
1: no way. Yeah, because I yeah, because I, I if I've had like a couple of drinks, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna listen to this week
0: since I, I see how it went. <laughs> you know, honestly though, I would say if you're drunk, then yes, listen to it. Is the show yeah. better drunk? I would imagine listening to it. I would imagine it is.
1: Oh yeah, it's really funny.
0: Well, <laughs> we have a very professional guest on our show today, which caused me to put on a professional blazer because I'm so excited. We have Tamron Hall here, who is um, you know, anyone who's had a daytime TV show to me is daytime TV royalty, right? You yep. name the name. I'm like, oh, royalty. Daytime TV royalty. Uh, so, and that does not include me. I'm, I'm speaking for, I'm going to put both my knees up. Look at this. Getting comfy in my dress. Um, so, Tamron's here. So, I got really dressed up, which I'm excited to welcome her to the show. Uh, but, you know, Dan and I are going to do our thing. Morning, Dan. I mean, good afternoon, whatever. Good evening. Good night. Truman show. Hi, Dan. You look very handsome today.
1: You're very put together. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, I decided to put on a collared shirt for uh, fall. Yeah, and you're growing a mustache. That's a new one. <laughs> yeah, well, I just shaved the rest of it, so
0: okay, the like mustache it.
1: remains. Thanks. You're
0: very emoji. Like, you really look like the iPhone emoji of the mustache Oh, guy. thank you. That's what I'm going for, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's Every every suspect looks like Dan right now. Every white suspect is Dan. I think that's so great for you. I love that for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm on about four hours sleep because last night, we recorded the show on a Monday, and last night, Sunday night, they're turning Sunday night television into a nine-hour marathon. It's like literally every other night of the week, there's nothing to watch. And then Sunday, it's genuinely eight hours of Ken Burns's jazz meets... It's just endless, <laughs> endless programming, and I don't understand why. And I'm still not even done watching everything. I have to finish um, One of the Housewives. I haven't seen Insecure yet. I'm just like... I haven't seen Insecure because I live insecure. Okay. I've also, I feel bloated this week. I'm having a feminine moment. I don't know. I'm touching myself. I'm stroking my blazer lapels, like, nicely, nicely in Guys and Dolls. I dreamed last night I got on the boat to heaven, and by some chance I had brought my dice along. That sounded good.
1: That's not bad. (laughs)
0: We never hear from Dan again. Everyone just
1: quit. Anita quit. Dan quit. Um, yeah, all the windows are. You I mean, know that was my
0: that was my high school uh, arts audition song, and I know what you're thinking. I didn't get in. <laughs> that was my high school audition song. Me as a 14 year old jerking the air off as I pretended to throw dice. We've talked about that. Listen, I love that song. I love Guys and Dolls. It's guys and dolls, not guys and guys. Um, (laughs) Seinfeld. And, you know, we're just here. I have almost nothing to talk about because I'm moving this weekend and I'm very stressed Mm. about the move. Um, I haven't moved in three years. I am trying to sift through everything. It's almost like... I imagine how the old prospectors felt in the 1800s when they were looking for fool's gold. I'm like just (laughs) sifting through all my shit, like seeing what lands in the sifter and then just tossing, (laughs) donating, you know what I mean? Everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. But it's really hard. It's it's really hard to take an evaluation of your life and like what you still have.
1: Yeah, I try not to evaluate my life or look back or think about it at all. (laughs)
0: But yeah, but hold on a minute. I feel like Do you get rid of things or do you have... Are you a sentimentalist? Like, do you hold on to things?
1: Uh, No, I try to keep that to a minimum. I have like... uh, As far as things go, no, I can get rid of things. I can do the Marie Kondo, like I thank it for its service and then like get rid of it. That's fine.
0: I can do that too. um, But I also buy a lot. So the problem for me is that I get to... Like, I I talked about this on Sirius, but I'm going to say it here because some of you don't have both. Um, I had a real... I had a real moment this week. I actually had a great weekend. My neighbor helped me at my storage place. I was, if you think I'm annoying on this podcast, I, I beg you to take me with you to your storage facility because I was doing a full, I did basically a 120 minute long Netflix special, longer, a 480 minute long Netflix special. I was so funny. I had a hoarse voice that night because I was so on. In this cavernous Manhattan storage facility. Nobody else was there. And I was singing. I was, I mean, I was out of my I literally was like, Am I manic? <laughs> like, am I a manic depressed?
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds insane.
0: I was out of my fucking mind. <laughs> and I think it's because I was so stressed about going to the storage facility. Like, I was so dreading yeah. Judge Dredd, like, going that. And he was so sweet to come with me, actually. Meanwhile, the guy walked out. I was giving, I mean, it is a full fire sale of Michelle Collins merch, meaning all my things. You want it? You got it. Do you want anything of mine? Please DM me. I'll give it to you. I
1: You have, I just, good, po- you have good posters.
0: I have beautiful posters. I have good taste. I really was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I have, I have an amazing taste. Mm-hmm. Again, everyone's gone. I need everyone's left. I sing. I'm complimenting myself. I think I have good taste. But what I forgot was that we opened up the storage. Dan, I hadn't been there in three years.
1: Oh, all right. It so, was, what you, was is it, is it mostly clothes or is it what? So
0: I literally didn't. All I remembered was that the last time I creaked the metal door shut, like in a bad episode of Dexter, <laughs> season finale of Dexter, uh, there was a garment rack that I had in my old apartment because I used to have a two bedroom and downsized. Um, there was a garment rack with a lot of gowns on it. That's what I remember. Just gowns. Oh, I remember God. there were like 100 <laughs> gowns on this garment rack, and then I think like a CB2 bookshelf, and then some stuff from college. What I didn't know is that when I first signed up for this, um, storage thing, it was, um, 150 bucks a month and slowly, but surely they had raised it to $300 a fucking- No!
1: Oh no! Yeah.
0: (laughs) Manhattan mini storage. Don't trust them. I'll, I'll actually shout them out. Do not trust them. In a way, it kind of makes sense. And I was, I was trying to rationalize it because I was, honestly, I had been in such a good mood. And then when I went downstairs just to let them know that like, come this weekend, I'm, you know, leaving- I said, just out of curiosity, like, how much am I paying? Because they take it directly from your bank account. And they were right. like, um, you're up to 295 I And then they wanted to charge me $35 to throw some garbage out. I was like, no. Are you listening to what I'm saying to you? They go, yeah, it's thirty-five yeah. dollars. I said, you're going to charge me thirty-five dollars after I'm paying three hundred dollars. So they lowered it to fifteen, which I was like, fine, you know, I'll okay. whatever. <laughs> and then, if you really want to laugh, I went, I rented a car and I went to get the car to like drive some things away. And uh, we just saw all the neighborhood people, like in coming to America, just taking everything. I was like, that's great. I'll be honest <laughs> it's with fine. you, yeah. Oh, that part, that was the highlight of my day, is seeing people, yeah, yeah, because there were like, you know, really nice books, some clothing, things like that. Be my guest. Like go have it, enjoy it. But um right. I was just laughing. I was like, now do I still have to pay the fucking $15 now that there's nothing left here? I'm just curious, how <laughs> does this $15 fee work? You know? Um, so that was it. But yeah, it was it was very stressful going through through everything. It was a lot of my wardrobe from the view was there. And I think, uh, you know, not that they let me keep uh. a lot, but the things that they did let me keep were hideous, right. but also I kept because I probably thought, well, if I ever want to look like a, you know, 65 year old real estate agent again, I might want to pop. Meanwhile, that's what I'm dressed like today. That's why that's yes. for me to say that because I genuinely look like Annette Benning in American Beauty. I will. Right.
1: You really do. I
0: do. I'm dressed like Annette <laughs> Benning. I was
1: hearing like what Let the Rivers Run or whatever. <laughs> it's very like working girl today.
0: I'm so working girl. It's I got this at Zara. I love it. It's a little blazy um uh i was gonna think of a pun with blazy and then it was just like kevin blazy i don't even know are we allowed to talk about american beauty blazy saddles
1: blazy saddles (laughs) blazy saddlebags that's my new drag name (laughs) uh wait so you have to be like all out and clear by the end of the week Mm -hmm. by sunday that's insane
0: (laughs) yeah take a good look this is the last podcast i'm gonna record in
1: this apartment yeah this is crazy oh no that makes me feel sad (laughs) Yeah, I I'm,
0: I'm doing the right thing. I really think I am. I, I I know in my heart that I am. I'm fine with it. I'm going to give my plants away. Genuinely, if anyone needs kitchen stuff, head over to my basement. I just got rid of almost everything in my kitchen. Like, so, so many mugs.
3: Wow.
0: So many mugs. How many mugs does a person... I mean, Mugsy Malone. Just so many mugs. <laughs> we both saw Dune this weekend.
1: Yeah, yeah. I liked it. I loved it. yeah. Did you see it in the theater or did you go – did you watch it at home?
0: I saw it in my favorite movie theater, the one I'm moving out of this weekend. goes <laughs> okay. right here on my crane barrel access to sofa. I had to uh, – I couldn't see it in a the theater. If they're going to make – if here's the thing that's effed up about it. If they're going to give me the option yeah. to pay $20 to watch it well, in a yeah. theater or watch it from home on my couch in underwear, I'm going to watch it at home.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> I loved it in the theater because – the. The worms are bigger. I know. Like everything's bigger, you know. Um, I saw it at Elmo Draft House, so they had like mm-hmm. this whole presentation about like uh, Dune, Prague, Rock, and stuff. Like they had all these like documentary features beforehand. It was great. I thought you I said know. the I Elmo
0: Draft House, and I was like, "No, where is that? It? It's like it's the <laughs> Elmo. <draft laughs> house. It's Times Square Elmo Draft Draft House. He's
1: and like a <laughs> or whatever." But- but then I just, I don't know, think of some Dune words. Oh, Dune
0: words. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't yeah. have any of the words. I was like, I watched it with closed captioning. Um, what's sad is that I auditioned for the Zendaya role. And I didn't get it, much like I didn't get into arts high school, because I couldn't hold a stare for more than nine unblinking minutes, which is basically what she does in this movie. I mean, she's in it for a total... I think she says as many words as Arnold Schwarzenegger in the first Terminator. Basically, like, she has almost no lines.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she's just kind of set up and, like, in the visions and stuff. But, like, they're setting up for big stuff in part two.
0: I gotta tell you, I wish I was set up in the visions. What a dream. (laughs) Think about it. Like, just set me up in the visions. You know, that's all I really ask for. I don't need much. I know what I did that's fun. I went last week, actually, in this blazer. So um, I had a friend visiting from Paris. My chic friend, Lucas, and uh, we went to the Polo Bar, which is Ralph Lauren's restaurant. Oh, that's fun. Yes. Have you ever been? No. (gasps) It looks cool. Wait, we should actually try to go before I go to Florida because it is... Here's the thing with Polo Bar and anyone listening who's coming to New York, if you can somehow even... Because you have to book the reservation unless you really know someone like months out in advance. Book it and schedule a trip around going. It is genuinely the only place I feel in New York. It's like walking into a Dumois blind item almost. I mean, everybody there is like (laughs) in the business somehow. There is a feeling there of like 1920s flapper excess. It just feels, you know, every time I've been there. And the funny thing is, is I keep thinking, oh, will I miss New York while I'm gone? Because I'm going to come back, obviously, but I'm just leaving for a little bit. And I'm like, will I miss it? You know, and at the moment, I don't think I will. In the, in the version of it that it's in right now, I know that I won't actually, because it's kind of in a depressing place for me at the moment. So right. I, I'm ready to like take a little break. But then I read Dumois and there are all these sightings of like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal at Pistis and like all of these celebrities all over the place. And I'm just like, hmm, that's going to suck. Like when I'm not here and reading those <laughs> things, I I do feel like I'll feel disconnected from the action a little bit. So yeah. I have to remind myself that like I'm doing the right thing for me at the moment.
1: Yeah, take a break. That's how you I don't know. I think that's the best way to live in New York, too, is take frequent breaks and then come back and like do it up and just go nuts. Yeah,
0: I know. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, the thing that really made me realize that it's over for me here is when I saw that uh, Luann got an invite to the Phantom premiere and I didn't and now while i love and listen i love countess luann i'm a fan i've performed with her but you're telling me that she is standing in a dj booth with andrew lloyd Webber, and i'm sitting in this fucking shithole in my zara blazer wondering what i'm doing with my life no 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 no. this town it's upside down at the moment and i won't have it so i'm like no i gotta go the video of her with andrew lloyd Webber, though is you saw it Wait, i haven't seen
1: no what? i haven't seen this yet no oh
0: my god dan Wait, I got to find her feet. She's in. Android Weber has Beats by Dre or whatever headset on. Standing in cool. front of a wreck. Yeah, so fucking cool. Standing in front of a DJ board, mixing something. And he's playing like We Are Family or like, it's basically the birdcage. He's basically in the club at the birdcage. Gene Hackman's there in a wig. It's the whole thing. They got the bones of Callista Flockhart in there. Watch her die this week. And then people think I'm evil. Anyway, every time I say some shit like that, the person dies. Um And... Uh, and Luann is there you know looking stunning i do Amazing, feel yeah. like luann and i are in this um dorian gray pact where <laughs> as i get Wait. more disgusting looking she gets much more beautiful i can't explain it to you <laughs> <laughs> <I do. laughs>
1: I do, the, feel more, like, the more you, you're you're taking on all her foul deeds yes
0: i'm like her like i'm her negative hole if that makes any sense like all her bad wormhole shit comes to me but anyway so yeah so while i'm here rotting in the fucking attic there's beautiful glowing luann in the dj booth with alw having the time of her life and i'm like look andrew what the fuck like come on i love phantom I, that's what i was singing in the storage facility saturday
1: <laughs> I was Phantom of the Storage Facility, <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Phantom of Manhattan like, Mini Storage. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I rode a canoe down aisle three of the fourth floor. That's the value floor. <laughs> you're
1: like, why did I put this canoe in storage? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's me surrounded by all the shit I had in there. Like all my old college <laughs> papers that I found. Where I got like, please. Like, what?
1: <laughs> Just looks like an old Banana Republic with all these like trunks and like maps and lizards. And, and I'm stupid like, wishing
0: you were somehow here again. <laughs> I, I want to sing. I think I might do a cabaret show. When I come back to New York... I think yeah. it's time. I want to sing. It's my destiny. If Luann can do it, well, by God. If my beautiful, <laughs> if my beautiful twin can do it, well, then good golly, Miss Molly, I am ready to get up on a stage and make it happen. Dan, what do you think?
1: I would uh, buy tickets. I would uh-huh. help out any way possible. Oh I my would, God. Uh, yeah, learn- I'll help you write it. Really? I mean, we we we've actually pitched so many like titles too, like, like what to each other. I forget, I forget, but it was just like actually, I totally forgot. Yeah, I know. Right yeah. Right yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, anything
0: he's gonna say, a- anything he's gonna say is gonna offend <laughs> me. You're like enough, remem- already. <laughs> <laughs> enough already. Oh wait, going back to Polo Bar. So anyway, go to Polo Bar. Uh, I don't even remember what I was wearing. Oh. I actually looked great. I had like a jumpsuit on with this little lace top. It was really pretty. Mm. We were standing there in the lobby of Polo Bar waiting to be seated. So the way it works is you go in, you sit at the bar first. The bartender remembered me. Shout out to Andrew. After two and a half years of not being there two years, he was like Michelle, right? I was like, okay, are we going to take this offline? (laughs) Like, what's that? (laughs) Um, Very, very sweet. Although I have a theory there because... Okay, wait, you're going to laugh, though. So basically, it's kind of like uh, on the E.T. ride at Universal Studios where they would ask your name. And then later, E.T. would be like, Michelle, phone, phone." (laughs) (laughs) home." And I remember... (laughs) and i remember that i went with my parents and they were like and they asked my mom what's your name and this is a true story and she went wolf blitzer like who knows you know my mother and so later it was like wolf blitzer phone home (laughs) and my mother laughed the whole fucking day from wolf blitzer phone home but anyway i have a theory of polar bar much like that et ride when you go in they
1: ask (laughs) do you remember that ride it was really fun Universal Studios. What Universal? I, ever... St- what? You never I think it? I went there. When I, no, I don't think so. So ET comes up to you, and your like, car goes by it, and he points at you and says, "Like Michelle or whatever."
0: Yeah, it's a ride. It's a ride where you literally get in an old jalopy, and then it just r- drives around a neighborhood, and for a split flash of a millisecond, ET is standing outside one of the houses, and he goes, "Michelle, phone home."
1: It sounds like a thrill.
0: It's yeah oh lord <laughs> anyway um no so uh E.T. fucking E.T. makes me laugh I swear to god every time I see that E.T. with his little duty neck I got a lol it's it's just fact <laughs> no so they have a thing when you go to Polo Bar the there's always they always put some cute guy at the door like you would shit like really cute not <laughs> Abercrombie hot like cute like Brooklyn yeah, cute. yeah and right. um he has a an iPad with everyone's name on it and I remember I went once and I'm almost sure they have either, like, he radios in to let them know who's coming in. So, oh, it's yeah. also a theory, which is clever, that they tell people with a picture, like, who's coming in. So, that's yeah. when he was like, Michelle, right? And I was like, he yeah. must be a G-. Like, he probably looked at the list of people in there at the time. Right. right? And, like, like my name. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like a uh, Leap of Faith with Steve Martin that's- when he has that here. <laughs>
0: No, that's exactly what it is. Yes, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Yeah, 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 hilarious. So, but meanwhile, I only thought of that later, and I was like, okay, does he like me? Like, what is this? I mean, you remembered my name. Like, it's just too much. Um, but I got there early, and then of course, who shows up? You know, I call him Malachimovis, the angel of death, Harry fucking Dubin. I'm like, can I go to one place on the fucking east side where, out of a puff of demonic smoke, Harry Dubin doesn't just appear
1: out of nowhere? I'm, I'm, the, I, I'm the Dorian Gray for Harry Dubin, by yes. the way. <laughs>
0: Harry Dubin phone home I'm loving my E.T. impression it's a new one for me and it feels very natural to me Um, so wait so no so we go inside so Lucas comes there he smells delish looks gorge we go downstairs Um, I do know like the the hostess I don't even want like the maitre d who works there she's so lovely so we have a big reunion she's very sweet whatever and um, Lucas is like oh look who's there a woman walks right by us and I'm like oh who is it and I see just her from like the back like, you know, yep. the, the lady who's like half witch, half beautiful woman, you know, that angle. Uh-huh. Yep. And I look and uh, this person has a cane, blonde hair, but I don't see the face. And I'm just like, who I, Ellen Burstyn. Like, I was like, who is this? Right. Martha Stewart. It's a big one. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Martha Stewart's a biggie. So I was very That's excited. Cool. I was excited about that. And she was there with her friend who, I think he runs like Martha Stewart living and these two ladies. Um, but then we sat down and, uh. Kenneth Branagh was there.
1: Really? Looking... Oh, that's fine. ...hot. You look I good. I bet.
0: Yeah, oh, I bet. Look at me. <laughs> I'm leaning all it's one the one of the my faves.
1: Back. Yeah, I know. Oh,
0: I'm leaning... I, my, my skeleton is at a... Pass over like forty five degree angle to the seat, as I told that to Dan. Did you
1: did you uh, drop a little Shakespeare while you're nearby? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to like you know.
0: I dropped a little Shakespeare. That's right,
1: all over my seat. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it
0: just felt.
1: So he makes like Shakespearean movies.
0: <laughs> no, I know. Wasn't he also in that movie Dead Again? Am I making that uh, up? Yeah, he uh, was with the scissors. Yeah, maybe. Remember, oh, okay. it was, like in the. Mm. Make sure to leave all this and fascinating <laughs> stuff we're covering today. Anything else before we wrap? Any other... Th- you went to a, a... Why don't you tell everyone where you went yesterday?
1: Oh, yeah. So last night, I went to this uh, a cartoon carnival in East Williamsburg in Brooklyn. It was so much fun. It was uh, at this like weird place down an alley where... the uh, as the person who introduced the cartoon said, it looked like Paul Rubin's brain had exploded all over the place. There was like um, masks and like Mardi Gras shit and everything like all over. There was a clown playing the oh. piano as you walk in. Yeah, yeah, you would hate it. But it was, like, really, oh really fun.
0: Dan uh, Dan emailed me. And you almost, like, never asked me to events like this. You know what I mean? Like, we'll hang <laughs> out. But I feel like you'll go out. Like, I'll find out that Dan goes to, like, Broadway shows that I would have loved to have seen. And I'm like, you went to Phantom <laughs> without me, like, constantly? I get a text. That's how I know this had to be bottom of the list. Like, everyone had to say, no, I'm I'm joking. <laughs> remember when you told no one about the podcast i'm kidding you know i love you stop stop no listen but he goes uh i get a text like hey you want to come with me to this and sends the link and it's a black and white still of i believe felix the cat like tiptoeing right and it was like cartoon carnival and you know i love cartoons i'm you know arrested development the whole everything like that but i was just like no i don't i don't like (laughs) old like black and white cartoons except for one that involved porky pig being chased by the grim reaper have you ever seen that looney tunes
1: Wait, was that? It might have been the one that they showed. Was that the case of the stuttering pig?
0: It was he. He lost a coin.
1: Oh no, this was a different one. He never. He's been, a, he's been chased a. She's been chased a couple yeah. times evidently <laughs> by the
0: Grim Reaper. But they did.
1: Yeah, they, they did show the case of the stuttering pig last night. No, this was by the way,
0: Porky. That motherfucker make me die. Porky makes me die laughing. No, it was one where he like lost a coin and it was found by the Grim Reaper, and then the entire. I'm, I could be getting it wrong, but the, it's on uh, HBO Max. The entire sketch is the Grim Reaper trying to, like, give him his money back. I, it's hilarious. <laughs> you have to watch it. That's and really he, funny. He keeps, like, avoiding the Grim Reaper. And, like, I guess he's also trying to kill Porky. I could be confusing <laughs> it with another one, but it's absolutely hilarious. That Porky, man, he is just, he's a classic.
1: He's really funny. Oh,
0: all right. Well, listen, I think we should make room for Tamron Hall because I am excited. She's a great talker like we are, which is always fun. She has a new book yeah. series out. We're going to talk all about it. But Dan, you can follow Dan at Dan underscore Acton. You can follow me at Mich Call. Wait, last question, Dan, did you get people hitting on you after last week's episode?
1: Uh, Wait, I don't remember. Oh, no, you wouldn't That's, uh like, I think starting. I think a couple i, I, I think uh, yeah a couple uh, a couple of people i could I could okay. I could do it some more to uh, boost my ego
0: well, I just want everyone <laughs> listening to know that um the one DM that I got based off of the conversation was hey Michelle, no, I am not writing you to hit on Dan um, <laughs> anyway, and then having nothing to do with it with me at all It was like, did you see okay. this shrek link? I'm like, okay this is why uh, I'm yeah, this yeah. down. all right Dan, I love you thank you for doing the show. love ya. All right, let's get ready for Tamron. put my most professional brand new blazer on for our guest today. I have never worn a blazer <laughs> during this podcast. And I said, we have daytime royalty coming by the podcast. I'm putting a blazer on. Uh, first of all, I adore her show. It's the Tamron Hall show, which it's a syndicated show. So it's on, you know, different uh, networks pretty much all over the country. Right, Tamron?
2: Yes, it's on uh, coast to coast, north, south, east, west. (laughs)
0: Coast to coast here in New York. It's on uh, ABC, God bless. And um, you can check local listings. But more importantly, Tamron has a new series of books out, a new novel, which is actually on USA Today's top five must read list. It's called As the Wicked Watch, the first Jordan Manning novel. Tamron, it sounds very mysterious. I have so many questions for you. You look gorgeous as usual. The great Tamron Hall, good morning.
2: Thank you for having me. I love that you wore a blazer and I wore a sheer curtain. That's what it looks like. <laughs> like a, Should I change? No, it doesn't. In person, this top is really, really cute. On Zoom, not so much. And that's what happens. It gets lost <laughs> in Zoom translation. Lesson for everybody.
0: You know what's funny is that I have so many tops like that too. And I'm quite broad shouldered where. I call it the Zara effect. You you go to Zara, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I look cute Ah. as shit. Like, I want this. And then I come home and it's, you know, just a nightmare quarterback, Eli Manning. Yeah.
2: It's because they, uh, oh, that's funny you say Eli Manning because the character in my novel, Jordan Manning, her last name is inspired by the Manning. Her first name Jordan after Michael Jordan, last name Manning after the Mannings. No, it is crazy how a cute outfit on Zoom suddenly becomes a tragic homage to Stephen King. But I guess it's appropriate since I'm writing mystery novels. But this looks like Stephen King would wear this. I actually or, think it looks, I, don't know.
0: I like it on you. Tamron, we have so much to get to because, you know, I want to talk daytime TV before we get into your book and this novelist mm-hmm. path that you're on, which I'm so excited for you about. Um, I want to talk about your path in daytime. Because I have a lot of theories about women in daytime. I was on, as you might know, The View for about seven whole minutes. Of course, I don't know if you remember me. Um,
2: (laughs) That's that's a long time, actually. Some people don't get seven minutes off of
0: there. So blessed. (laughs) Honestly, so blessed for those seven tight minutes. Um, But no, it it was uh, obviously an experience. And Mm -hmm. I know that you have been through ups and downs yourself when it comes to, even in the public eye. So I want to talk to you a bit about, Kind of how yeah. you got started, and do you feel like the business has been fair to you?
2: It doesn't matter if it's been fair to me. I have a talk show, right. so something worked out right. Life hasn't been fair to any of us in many capacities. Um, it's not fair to our children. They were in a global pandemic, and here they are beginning their lives. And I'm 51, and I've had a great life, but my nieces, who are you know 14 and 11, and one is 20 you know, that's not fair. I I didn't get into the business uh, for it to be fair to me. I got into it because this is what I love doing. And it brings me great joy and great reward um, to do what I do. And and by the rewards, I don't mean the financial aspect of it. And that is obviously something worth celebrating considering my mother was a 19-year-old single mother and never imagined I'd have this life. But what I mean by the rewards is that I get an opportunity to Talk about domestic violence awareness and support organizations that impact change. I get an opportunity to talk with other women like yourself who have survived, not just the good and bad of being in this business, the good and bad of being a woman in any industry for that matter. And so, uh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect, and I don't expect anyone or anything to be fair to me. I expect, though, to get the things I want out of it out of that experience. And I'm lucky enough to have a talk show out of this experience, um, an Edward R. Murrow award for my work reporting on survivors of domestic violence and Emmy award. So I life owes me nothing. <laughs> TV owes me nothing um, from that point of view.
0: No, it's a perfect answer. And I, It's funny, because I tend to take that path as well, because people always reach out to me whenever, you know, I'm interviewed, they always want me to talk smack about the view. And obviously, there's so much that I could say. But that show, in particular, you know, has a lot of negativity coming out from behind the scenes and backstage Mm -hmm. and a lot of the infighting. And I've always taken the high road, because I feel like number one, I'm not so known personally, where it's like, Uh what am I really going to get out of this? But mm-hmm. what I've noticed is that I feel like from this particular show, people who have come out afterwards and spoken negatively actually do tend to reap some reward from it because they get publicity from it or.
2: Oh, no, they don't. No, you I mean, don't you think so? Think that way. I, no, no, I don't think Go that way actually, at all. I don't. Because mm-hmm. I think, first of all, um, and again, not just our industry. Right. Whatever your story is, is your story, by the way. And I tell people if it's one that is fraught with pain or joy, when and if you ever decide to tell your story, it's yours. Yeah. And you own it and, and you get to do what you want to do. It's no, not
3: it's, that I don't I know, want I know, it to be too. Yeah.
2: No, no, no. But when you say people come to you and they ask you and ask you and ask you, really, it's, I always, I always think about the person who's asking me this, right? What do they want from me? Not what they want me to share, right? Because if you really want to hear my story when it's appropriate, I will mm-hmm. tell you. But I see and I hear the wind up to what people want me to say. And I already know going in that it's, they're not even there for my authentic experience. They're there for an agenda. Right. And so for me, if, if people you haven't, I, 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 I like and don't like the phrase, the high road, because what is the high road, right? If, if something bad happened and you want to tell people, that's you not taking the low road, that's you telling your journey. But I think if you wanted to tell more you would, but you've moved on. You have your career. You have the things that you've taken out of it. But I think the reason why you haven't shared whatever stories you have is not because if it's financial gain or not, you moved on. It's like an ex. Yes. I don't, when we have guests on my talk show, even when they're really famous and they've had a famous ex, but they've moved on. I have a rule about not asking them about their exes because imagine being at a dinner party or a lunch or whatever. You're there with your newbie, your new guy, your new lady. And someone asks you about the other person. You're like, wait a minute, what? And so for me, our show is like a brunch, two mimosas in and the people we don't like are gone. And we're just sitting there chatting. And never in my life with one of my friends would I ask about their ex with their current person in their life, right? So that's how I approach um, my interview style, my, 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 my show's approach to conversations as complex as they are about for example, whether or not something has been fair or someone's been fair to you or this right. industry. I think
0: the reason why I brought it up and wanted to talk to you about it yeah. is because, um, you know, everyone right now is uh, paying attention to Katie Couric's book. And she's getting a lot yeah. in, a, in, a, in an interesting way, actually. Mm-hmm. I think I would have thought people would have been actually lifting her up by, again, speaking her truth and by being right. So blatantly honest. And I think, and I'm I'm a fan of Katie's, but I think what I'm seeing, and I don't know if you feel this way too, is sort of blowback from it. Like she's actually receiving some negative attention because of it, which is why I wanted to ask you, having also been on the Today Show and everything else, yeah. kind of how how do you feel about even how her story is being treated? Right.
2: Yeah. I don't feel any way about it right. because I've written my own book. And I'm yeah. <laughs> listen, I have a 51-year-old with a two-and-a-half-year-old who just wrote a book who has to shoot 187 shows. Yeah. I And I don't say that to shut down the question. No, I okay truly... It. And by the way, when we say backlash, what are we talking about? Twitter? I mean, are we talking about a couple of articles? Like, that book is going to do very, very well, mm. right? As she has done very, very well in her career. We've got mm-hmm. to stop asking about the five people who say they're mad about something.
0: There's a lack of nuance happening with information that is actually, I think, like kind of making society go in the decline in a major way. Because
2: we get trained, right? It's a training of what we're supposed to ask and what we've talked about. And here my book is about, you know, two, you know, people inspired by a real story that I covered in 1997. One black child, one white child, who disappeared, both murdered. And I created this story to kind of deal with what is it really like for a reporter when you cover crimes and and, and you go home and you're expected to leave what you saw and what you heard mm. just in some vault in your brain and the, the the trauma of some some of that living with you. And for me, some of the trauma of leaving those two Um, crime scenes involving children then manifests in my mind when my own sister is murdered. And then it just keeps, it snowballs and you keep pushing and pushing and pushing these things out. So when I had an opportunity to write a book, you know, everyone said, what about a memoir? What about this? What about that? I wanted to write this novel to create this character who perhaps would handle these moments different than I did or be more bold in newsrooms um, than I've been. Mm. And, 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 and a year and a half after I wrote the book, which also touches in on why the news media or why it seemed we covered the disappearance of a beautiful white girl in a different way than we would a black child or brown child, a year and a half later, this is the big conversation that people are having. Um, Why can't we get fairness in coverage? Since that's Mm. the word to use in these kinds of situations. And that was it. That is a part of my book and a part of the storyline.
0: It's, um, it's such an interesting question, and honestly, watching the conversation around it with Gabby's disappearance, obviously, yeah. and, and then hearing of, you know, in that one park, you know, another dozen people, or however many it was, that were yeah. or people who, of color who have gone missing yes. and got absolutely no coverage at all. I mean, there was not even a blip on the news, or maybe a right. little bit. What do you think, uh, and I obviously want to talk about your book as well, and we will, don't get nervous, yes. but.
2: Yeah, other, <laughs> other, than, other
0: than, you know, obviously having these conversations to talk about it. How do we then change, I guess, the conversation in newsrooms to get people? Because it does seem oftentimes like, yes, we read about it on Twitter. We feel the frustration as, as fair people. But what do you think can actually make a change with the narrative when it comes to the late right. night news to actually get yeah. all of these horrible disappearances and murders covered?
2: But I think, you know, it's honest conversations of why it happens, mm-hmm. right? I think it's, um, and, and we've had them and reset and fallen back into the same uh, habits. I don't think that there are people who sit in newsrooms and say, okay, we're only going to cover the white girl who's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we have biases, not just in in in, in race, but physicality, right? We hear that term telegenic or Beautiful, or I—I mean, I've seen reports where a person's hair color doesn't matter, but they'll say beautiful blonde, right? And it's like, well, what are we using that description for? Because we can see the picture. So, what is the what are you signaling with the mention of her hair color when the person isn't missing? Why is that a descriptor? And what are we saying with that? And I think that there aren't you know, maybe, I don't know, 1950s, there were people who said, don't put a black kid on people will not watch or whatever. But I think for the most part, these are systemic biases that have infiltrated our mindsets. And when you have Gabby's parents on saying, we want all children covered this way, my heart broke for them, because at the end of the day, any parent with a missing child, I would want my son to be the first story, the second, the last. I wouldn't care. You want the attention because you want answers and you want your child safe. So now they're being put in a position to explain the behavior of the media. Mm. And that's heartbreaking. And on the other end, you have someone like Jelani Day's mother. He was missing in Illinois and she's having to fight for the coverage. So in not getting this right, we are making victims of both sides. Mm. In this, and that's what's so heartbreaking there. But how do we get it right? I think you have to have honest conversations of why it happens um, and the bias that people have regarding what will people watch? If we put this person's picture on, will they watch? There was a study even about weight and, and and that being a part of the bias. What does this victim look like? And will people have more empathy for someone who is so-called telegenic. So there are deep studies on it and it goes goes past race. It goes to just physicality in general and the type of look that will make a person stop to watch the coverage. It's really
0: so dark <laughs> when you like are explaining yeah, it that yeah. way it, it reminds me of like Chicago the musical or something where it's just yeah it's like these deaths are just entertainment almost in a way it's it's and yeah. do you think there's something strange I'll be honest with you I do think there yeah. is a little bit of a weirdness in people who are obsessed with like murder porn as they're calling it like yeah. all of these podcasts yeah. and all of these shows yeah. where it is about and you're right, usually very good-looking people who are either killed or murderers. Yeah. Do you find an issue with that? I, I'm i not someone who enjoys a lot yeah. of it. I like a little dateline yeah. here and there, but how yeah. do you feel about those things?
2: Well, I mean, the last season of my show, Deadline Crime, um, it was a conversation I had with my producers about what I call glam crime, where we we have these this reenactments and in, in, in this storytelling without reminding people of the brutality. And that moment of revelation... I always knew it because I'm in this unique club of people where my sister has been a victim of crime. So I'm going to obviously approach it in a different way, perhaps. But I remember being um, in Oklahoma um, covering the death of a young woman. She was pregnant at the time, and she was killed by this this man who was a serial killer. It was a horrible, horrible story, and the way she died was so brutal and so unimaginable. And I told my team that it was it was our we were compelled to tell the viewers how she died, not for the clicks, right? It is to say, imagine your last minutes. you are alone in the woods, you are pregnant, and you know you are dying you. at the hands of someone else. And that is the reality of life. And for me, I, I've seen people, you know, have shows where it's kind of glazed over. And then we forget that there was a mother, a father, a son, whatever it is, a daughter who won't be going home. So for me, I can't speak for others and their motivation. I can tell you before every story that I've covered, especially on Deadline Crime, I had a booklet and I would meditate over the person. Mm. I would pray for them. I would pray for their families. And I would ask the universe to make sure that my words and my intentions in covering that story were never clouded by the desire to have a rating, would never be uh, something that the family would watch and be upset with me because I covered it. Mm.
0: I'm happy to hear that. I wish that more hosts would do those kind of things and be less, I guess, obsessed with the popularity of something versus the actual story, you know,
2: well, they you know we're we to change humanity here. Listen. I know. Well, listen. Are, you know. Listen, anything, I know. That, anything that people can make money from, there will be ways in which to do it wrong. This is why I have but no going money, back Tamron. To the court, yes. Just so you know this. <laughs> know. You want to know why I have none? Because I don't actually
0: care about the check, okay? I know you're looking no. at the staircase. You're thinking she's doing okay. I'm fine. But um, I, I never approach things from a check perspective because I think that, uh, well, it's a mistake. I'll be honest with you. Let's talk about the book. Yeah. I want to talk uh, as the wicked watch the first George. Jordan Manning yeah. novel. So this is your first mm-hmm. novel. Yes. Did you? I'll be honest. I've I've been a writer in my time. I still write here and there. But mm-hmm. writing something fictional, even though it was based on something that you were yeah. dealing with, how, is hard. It's like a difficult thing to write in the third person or however. Did you like go to yeah. classes to do it, or were you just like chapter by chapter taking it?
2: You know what? And maybe it was the timing in my life, right? I we were in the pandemic, we were locked in. Um, I've always had a very vivid imagination. I would read the Nancy Drew, mm-hmm. you know, box sets under my bed over and over and over. And I don't know, again, it could be that I was 50 and just kind of wanted to release some of these observations and create this character. That process wasn't hard for me. The hard part for me, honestly, was, okay, now, am I supposed to tell people I wrote the book? And then I have, you know, publishers coming in, they want to buy the book and they're saying, well, there's never been a protagonist like this. And I didn't know any of the mechanicals. I didn't. I even now, my agent is like, you know, bestseller list or USA Today. I'm like, okay, did they really read it, or did y'all pay? <laughs> it? They're like, no, they really read the book. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. You know, it's exciting. I read all of the books. Mm. I read all of the books that come in. Most of them uh, for guests on my show, and, and sometimes I have to skim it really fast. So you know, you know, I try to give as much love and attention to each and every uh, thing that's put in front of me. But I have to tell you, uh, the process of you know, okay, now I've got to sign 3000 of these. My and my husband's like, don't they have a stamp? I'm like, no, I want to personally sign them." This book will be in someone's hands. And meanwhile, my hands are feeling I was going to say they're so all that, clawed up even here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, but it's great, you know, mm-hmm. and then being, you know, not being able to have the the, the proper book tour and do it, doing yes. most of this virtually has been different, but it's, it's as enjoyable. So for me, that process was not heart. It was what characters did I want to develop and someone asked me, did I know how it was going to end when I was writing it? I didn't. It was mm. exhilarating writing and wondering for myself, like, how is this going to end? Where's Jordan going to go? I mean, as you know, the story starts with a hotline call about a missing girl. And Jordan manning the character then starts to follow these leads. But I didn't know how she was going to solve the crime. Growing up, I watched a lot of, you know, TV. I'm a TV kid, mm. perhaps why I'm in TV. Same, But just developing her, it was exhilarating. I can tell you, it was like my endorphins. It was just an awesome feeling to create in a way that's very different than a newscast where you have a minute and 15 to write that script for that particular news uh, headline.
0: Mm. And it probably allowed you creatively, clearly to yes. finally let go of like having things to be like directly factual. You know, you could actually like, oh, talk- yes, no, I'm right. serious. Like you wouldn't, you knew no, that you couldn't get right. called out on anything. You're like, I yeah. can finally be free.
2: But we did. Listen, yeah. on the, in one of the things I wrote about an iPhone and I said something with technology and we had fact checkers oh. and they're like, well, the iPhone didn't do that then. I'm like, oh, it didn't. So there were like <laughs> things where they, they said, well, that didn't exist then. Mm-hmm. What? because I, the book is set in the 90s. Um, oh and I, we're in 2021. And so I, there were things that I completely forgot. AOL dialect. We next time, text
0: to- me. I'll tell you everything from the 90s. I'll tell you all the Tetris, Game Boy cartridge, whatever you know your characters need. <laughs> Be in touch, because I remember the 90s, too. I, I miss the 90s in so many ways. And I think partially because... Technologically, we were so simple then. Yeah. You know what I mean. It was yeah. a nicer,
2: no, it's true, nicer
0: time. I love to hear that you were a TV kid because I also was. Yeah. Just growing up watching yeah. sitcoms and game shows and everything else. Um, did when you were little, did you just know that you wanted to have a talk show? Like were you or host a game show, or what was the dream when you were like eight years old?
2: Well, I, I thought I wanted to be Johnny Carson because um, I just thought he did the best interviews and. I didn't want, I, I really didn't, I knew I wanted to be a reporter. Mm-hmm. I've always been very curious about people. My nickname growing up was not necessarily because I questioned and challenged everything. <laughs> so imagine being a five-year-old and they're, and saying not necessarily. And they're going, what, what is wrong with this kid? So I was always very curious. I thought at one point in time, I would be a war correspondent. Mm-hmm. There was. I didn't know how this would play itself out, but I knew that I loved hearing people's journeys and I knew that likely that would be a reporter and I did find recently my uh, high school yearbook thing where you write in you, and it did say where do you want to be in 10 years and I said an anchor in a major market which I don't even know how I knew what major market I, know, meant. I, I okay. guess I meant like I was like what does that even mean you're like but syndicated
0: I, um, um right. a 70 30 share I don't <laughs> I, even know what I'm saying by the right. way
2: <laughs> That's, I was yeah. like a major market. Who was I? Who did I think I was? <laughs> um, uh-huh. But that's, that's it. So I knew that it would be in this form, uh, meaning talking to people. Right. But was it going to be a writer? Would it be, you know, a reporter, anchor? I, I, I never thought talk show hosts. Um, even as I watched, you know, the great Oprah Winfrey Ugh. break barriers and, and do the best daytime talk show in history. I I admired it, and I think at some point we all wanted it, but we didn't know what we would be wanting, you know? It's just like, oh, Oprah show. I would love to do that one day.
0: What is the thing when you're doing your, your daytime show that I guess you weren't expecting? Meaning, I feel like the yeah. when people watch... You or any of these shows, you know, it's yeah. it's obviously so much fun. It's I think it is the greatest job yeah. in the world because we're very similar. Like love to talk, it's yeah. fun. You get to meet interesting yeah. people, yeah. but there's a lot of backstage stuff. And this isn't a negative question yeah. necessarily. It's just you yeah, know, you know what I mean. Like is no, I know what you mean. What I, is like so the thing that shocks you? I guess most every day when you do yeah. your show
2: that if my name is on the show and the responsibility of that, hmm. right? So, and I know what you mean by the question in that I. I, I wasn't prepared, I think, in some ways, uh, in many ways, for the whole responsibility. It's like a small business. Yeah. And even though Disney and ABC backs the show, for me, all of a sudden, I am the mama bear. I am I am the person, you know, you, you think we know everything and I don't, but I am responsible for it. And then in the midst of it, a global pandemic, right? And so my team is now scattered about, not in an office i got to figure out how we're going to keep this show going, but also communicating via Zoom mm. with a hundred something people all, you know, in these tiny boxes. I did not understand. I don't, I don't think I'd, and there's no way I could have understood the, the weight and responsibility when your name is on the show, you are Clorox, right? And no matter if your Clorox is at a hundred different stores, it's your name. And understanding what that means to people and understanding what it means to lead um, a show that's this big. You know, when I was at a network, at the end of the day, it was a network's problem. Right. But in many ways, being the name on the show, whether you are intimately involved in a decision or not, it's still your responsibility. And that was awesome uh, in some ways and intimidating in others. But it's, again, a part of the... The challenge of it, but the joy of it.
0: Because of that, I mean, do you think that you like when it comes to the stories and the people that you have on, are there just sometimes guests pitched where you're like, I don't feel comfortable having this person on the show. I don't feel comfortable maybe giving a platform to someone who's done this. Or how do you approach every episode when it comes from like a production standpoint?
2: Well, I never look at things as giving a platform because I'm not giving anyone anything. Bad people mm. do bad things and you interview bad people. I've interviewed interviewed a woman who murdered a child in prison um, and I remember her touching my skin and my whole body mm. recoiled, right? Yeah. Um, if we stop interviewing bad people then again, we're going back to what we were talking about earlier in the show, who gets this, who gets the story and how do you assign what a bad person is? Right. And so for me, I feel that if the conversation is of a value and interest to my viewers, then we're going to have that conversation. We launched season three of our show with the mask debate. I had a man Mm -hmm. who literally sound like he was threatening somebody's life at a Tennessee school board meeting where he was telling people that kids should not wear masks. He didn't even have a kid in the school district. No, I can't hear that. I can't hear that. And there are some people who, Yeah. yeah. And some people would say, well, why would you give him your platform? Listen, not since the battles over segregation and schools have I seen people behave that way outside of school board meetings in front of children. And so, for me, that's a conversation, right? I'm not going to let you get on and give off fake news or fake facts about a mask. But it is a curious thing when I hear a mother, one of our guests, say, "Making a child wear a mask is child abuse," which is what she said. Um, I never look at it as—I mean, I'm, I'm a seasoned, 30-year journalist. Of course, there will be people who come on and do things, and I'm "Oh my gosh!" But, but at the end of the day. I think through my team's hard work, my hard work, and my studying, we can have a substantive conversation on just about anything. So no, I look at, I, but yes, I, I am in the process each and every day with who gets booked on the show, because I want to ask, and I ask my booking team, what do they bring to the tan fam? Why are we having this person on? What do we believe? Will the tam Fam laugh with them, cry with them, be mad at them, learn something, be inspired, encourage? Or otherwise, it's not about me. It's about the family. because there are people I've had on that I thought, I would not care about this one way or the other. And then it rates. Or- Mm-hmm. I get in the midstream of the interview and I say, gosh, that was interesting. I didn't think that was going to be interesting. And now I'm glued. That's a part of the curiosity, as you know, yeah, when course. you interview people.
0: That, it's, it's funny you say that because whenever on my serious show, sometimes we'll have guests. So I was like on the fence about whatever. Mm-hmm. 99% yes. of the time, the best guests at the end, I'm going, why was I even hesitating on this person? They were so much fun. They come in a good mood. So it's totally true. Or
2: you get a big celebrity and you think this is my dream. I've always wanted to interview blah, blah. And they say two words and you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm (laughs) happy. Should we talk some shit, Tamron?
0: I'm in the Tam fam. (laughs) Who's not in the Tam fam? That's what I want to get to. Let's have fun. (laughs) I know it's a heavy book. We're talking about heavy subjects.
2: No, no, no. But listen, you know
0: what I mean? I, I feel, oh, listen, I've had guests on some post tapes it's only happened a handful of times where they have come on and there's been tension and I'm actually like you know I'm a big Uh idiot like I don't come I'm not there to cancel anybody no you know what I mean like it's a it's an entertainment show I'm not I'm not a journalist you know yeah and sometimes you know I always say like 99% of the time people love me but there's always that one percent Occupy Mish Street and they don't want to know for me and it's a bad feeling sometimes you know when you don't click with that guest in the way you want to
2: I, you know, I've had that. I've had people misinterpret a question or, or. But I often find that it's not about you. It's about the three interviews before you, where they're going in trigger. You know, so you go in already on ten, and you just become their worst nightmare because you're now asking something similar, and they've already dealt with that. So that's what I feel. And I'll tell you, I can I. I can sense it. You know, I'm, I think I read body language pretty well and I, I look for a rhythm and I look for a flow mm. and, um, sometimes it just doesn't work. I've had, a, I wouldn't say I've had a, a lot. I've probably had maybe three people who I've, wouldn't want to hear from again. And they probably don't want to hear from me again. Oh
0: my God. We have to to compare notes after off air (laughs) because I swear if one of them is the same, I will actually be, I will feel so excited. I'll be like, it's not just me. There's nothing better than when a producer tells you if someone's coming in, like they're in a bad mood, you know, and they
2: come and they go, Oh, they're not in a good mood. They won't. They've said, you know, I, I had someone years ago uh, who was like, this is when I was in local news, but the person was very famous. And right before the interview live, her people came over to me and said, she says, if you ask her this, she's going to tell you F off. (gasps) And it was live TV. Oh my God. And I, I, I thought to myself, that will be the saddest day in her life. And I asked her the question and she didn't, but it was all bluster. But I was thinking. If she said that to me, it was not going to go down the way she anticipated. I was like, you will not oh. be seeing TV stammer all. You'll be seeing another stammer <laughs> all. And I'm like, how dare you? Like, it's one thing to come and say, you know, like, yeah. she, listen, she thinks if you ask her that she's very uncomfortable and it would be very hurtful. And, you know, whatever the appeal, but to threaten me was just, I thought. Is that, that why was, you asked so I, it, and then, Is that why you were like, no, I, was all right, no I I asked it because in her particular role, she was known for commenting and saying very provocative things about other people um. and she was a public person and I thought okay well if you're willing to ask this of other people then and I would and and as I said not just because of the talk show I I try as best I can to put myself in that person's shoes we just had Deborah messing on and Deborah I I asked her about the Kim Kardashian tweet right and and she explained and she apologized guys for coming so i guess kim kardashian was announced as a host and deborah messing went to twitter and said you know i know that they traditionally have actors or people with books out help me understand why kim kardashian the headlines were she's asking why kim kardashian so on it's on, on the surface it sounds awful yeah. and, and i don't know her intention and but when you read she slams snl for kim kardashian you're like ooh, why and deborah was on and we were on highlighting positivity in this author that she was a fan of or is a fan of and we were talking about positivity and I felt it was a relevant question to ask her a because Kim Kardashian killed it she did a phenomenal she job was great. As far as I'm highest concerned.
0: rated episode also
2: and, yeah. and 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 she was good because yeah. she could have gotten high rated and been bad but she was good and how do you juggle this quest to be positive with tweeting out something like that that many interpreted as negative. And to Deborah's question, she didn't flinch. She, and I didn't tell her I was going to ask her. She answered it and said, I didn't mean it. I was genuinely like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, and, and it was fine. And her, and she apologized. I'm
0: but. sure she appreciated the opportunity to apologize by the way. I think about it. Cause you know, she's, a, Deborah's yeah. nice. Like she's someone, I don't know yeah. her personally, I'll be honest with you.
2: She seems nice. You know, she's, she's, she's 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 been on our show a couple of times. Yeah.
0: People don't know. That's the problem with Twitter. And actually, it's funny because when we were talking before about, you were saying you love reading body language. Any interviewer has to read body language because you need to know, you know, little things even like touching or leaning forward or doing these things that in person we're so used to doing. For me, at least, doing these interviews on Zoom have become... Uh, they're just different. I mean, they're not bad. They're just not the same sort of kibitzing that I usually enjoy yeah. in an interview yeah. and bonding and sharing that chemistry. It's a different medium. And it makes well, it a bit hard. Well, you're good at what you do. Well, so, well,
2: experiment. you're good at what you do. And yeah. so you connect. You, no, it's true. And you connect in that way. But I'll tell you, you say in person, you know, body language, good interviewers do that. You do that. Not I have been interviewed and I can tell the person is just waiting for the next question or you know so good interviewers look for those signals right you i see breath change so i can literally see the gulp sometimes okay. and i'm looking at all of those things to determine a how much am i going to get from this person meaning in the conversation and how can i make them feel as comfortable as possible to get this conversation going but that's you notice and do that because you're good at it there are people who think they're good at it. And you can just literally see them going to the next question. And like they a have robot. it
0: like written you know i have nothing written here i mean this is all it's like latin there's nothing on here i have the information for your book well
2: i have yeah. notes i do have notes but i'm listening to the question i can't i do have notes i'm too old, i forget no stuff. i have but a i have paragraphs, my notes in front of but i my whole yeah, vibe exactly. in an interview
0: is like ex- i always say it's like going on a first date you know you want to sit you want to feel mm-hmm. the chemistry out ask so where are you from and this yeah. and that and they're usually better than my actual dates and that's where i have to stop and think no, <laughs> who
2: will
0: I actually dating like why are the dates so bad and yet the interviews are so good you
2: gotta go in like you're interviewing I know I'm (laughs) going with your microphone
0: (laughs) that's such a great idea oh my gosh that's genius and a little camera crew and make a show out of it (laughs) uh One other thing, actually, I read a funny thing that you said. You cut your hair short because your husband loved Halle Berry. That just made me laugh and laugh. Oh, not my
2: husband. Who is it? It wasn't my husband. Oh, it wasn't your husband. It was my first boyfriend. First
0: boyfriend. Oh my (laughs) God, excuse me. I'm so sorry. That's why I need notes. It was Anita Anita (laughs)
2: Baker. (laughs) Anita Baker. No, No,
0: but Halle was mentioned. was. You said Halle Berry as well, but Anita, I love, I don't blame him. Who's better than Anita Baker? Anita
2: Baker, my boyfriend at the time I was 18, he loved Anita Baker and I loved him. And so I changed my hair. And then later in life, people would ask me, was it Halle Berry who had inspired oh, it? But it was actually Anita Baker, um, and, and his love of, of her. And then years later, I told that story. And the great. Anita Baker <gasps> contacted me. And I was oh. like, holy golly. Um, but she's she's amazing. Has she ever been too. on your show? Anita? She is the elusive truce. <gasps> to quote Mariah Carey's album cover. Um, no. She is very, very much uh, at the top of my list. Mm. And I'm sure at the top of a lot of lists, but she has not done any sit-down interviews oh, in no. years.
0: Really? That's a sh- yeah. I love Anita. Now, that music will yeah. come on and my my blazer will self unbutton. Like I don't even have to touch the buttons. The dress will zip itself off my body when I hear Anita. I'm like, damn, what is no, no, this? No,
2: you've just given people tips to date you. You're like, okay, Done. I need the help, song, Anita. Right? Listen,
0: uh, it's funny you say that because my number one interview person, if I had to talk to anyone on the planet would be Martin Lawrence. And he also does no interviews. And it's like-
2: He doesn't, I've tried. He, yeah, I've tried and too. if he won't sit down yeah, with he you,
0: doesn't. he's not coming here. No. So I don't know- What's it going to take? Eddie
2: Murphy was on my list and I finally got Eddie Murphy. Unfortunately, it was via Zoom. But I just wanted Eddie to tell me what he orders from Starbucks, right? Because you always see those (laughs) paparazzi pictures. I'm like, dude, what are you drinking? And what's your bladder like? And I was too nervous to ask him that. Really? <laughs>
0: oh, my God. We have to find. Now I got to know. I didn't even ever think of that question. It's so funny. He's always funny. at
2: Starbucks. Like, you see him <laughs> on the paparazzi show. He's always at Starbucks. It's crazy. He has
0: the thing because Eddie is uh, tied with Martin, like two favorite period yeah, of all yeah, time. Yeah. And yeah. I met him briefly at the um, after party for Dolomite, uh, which was unbelievable. Oh, it's so much fun. Phenomenal. He has the thing. I would say I've only met maybe Larry David and Eddie Murphy have this, where they have a glow of celebrity that it's mm. other, it's an otherworldly, godly. I, I really mean that, and mm-hmm. it's just something different. And it, maybe it's in my head because I'm such yeah. a fan that like I see no, them. No, it's true. They have it. Yeah. Some people are just. Don't you think so? They I'm have born it. with that.
2: I think Naomi Campbell has it for like her for skin sure. looks like you can dive in it and you would drown in the moisture <laughs> of the skin. I mean, it's just, I remember the first time seeing her and then Tyler Perry has it, but his mm-hmm. is the aroma. I'm like, you really smell rich. Like he just had, oh like, it's God. crazy. Talk to me he's through his smell. A lot of people have, I know mm. what you mean. Oh, he's amazing. He's an amazing, oh. amazing person. But no people, you see it, you feel it and they, they, I will tell you, like when I touched Naomi Campbell's skin, I was like, "What creed is that? Like, <laughs> where do, where does one buy that skin? Oh my god, it's it's
0: unfair. Born to be beautiful, like just born. Uh, you know, Brad Pitt has it. Gwyneth
2: Paltrow has it. Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, her to when she came, I didn't interview her. Right, head to toe. I went in. She was at the Today Show, and it wasn't my interview, but mm. she walked in. I was like, "Oh my god, like." It was everything. The hair color was the perfect shade of whatever shade. And then the skin. And she had like a little peak of tummy showing in the outfit, but it was just the appropriate. I was like, did they get a, a measuring thing and go, this is the <laughs> limit that is appropriate to show that it looks good. Like it was a perfect oh peekaboo tummy. It was nuts. But was you know nuts. what? Hey, Gwyneth, too.
0: Gwyneth puts so much work into her look, like the like the whole yeah. goop lifestyle of eating healthy macrobiotic yeah. working out that I'm willing to not look that good to oh, not I, live I, like I that. I looked
2: there with the same thing. No, I said you know? the same thing. Yep. I wasn't willing to do what she does to get that. Please. I was like, that's too much. But Kate Beckinsale has it too. She's another. I was like, holy moly. I always
0: think if I can't picture the person at Costco, like I'll never look as good as they look. So (laughs) for example, like I can't picture Tamron Hall. Tamron, I could, and you're stunningly beautiful. I don't know if I could picture you at Costco, but you're like a real person, you know? So yes, I could see you like going to like a Jersey Costco. Costco. I cannot picture Gwyneth getting that big cart and like pushing it through the aisles of Costco. She's not doing it. It's not my Unless kind of it was
2: ingredients that she was shopping for for her creams, for like creams. you know, I can okay. see her going right. Like she's like, I need the largest vat of hemp seed ever, yeah. and they only carry it at Costco. They definitely so have that at Costco. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Well, let's let's talk
0: about the book for a couple more minutes. So, as the yeah. Wicked Watch, cool. the first Jordan Manning novel your passion about it is and it's on sale um, this week, which is so exciting. So everybody needs to go order it, either local bookshops, support your local bookshops or the big ones. You know, I'm very easy with that. I'm like, buy it anywhere.
2: I like that. Right. Anywhere you want
0: to buy it, buy it. But um, is your week just insane, like promoting it? And I mean, you must be doing a million things. It's so exciting.
2: You know what? It's the buildup. So this is our final week and it has, I was in LA for like seven hours and flew back here. And, um, of course I get back and my son has a call. I'm like, wait a minute, uh. mom's gone for seven hours. They can't keep the wheels on for that long. <laughs> um, but he's great. He's fine now, okay. but, um, no, it's been great to talk about it. It's, as I said to you, this story has been inside of me in some form since 1997. Mm. And then, and now it's here. Uh, it's still very surreal. I'm already writing the second because it's a series, the huh. second in the series. And I said to myself, I got to wait, I got to wait because I need to hear the feedback. Here I am four chapters in. I'm like, slow down, newbie. What are you thinking here? So I, of um, slowed down on this second, yeah. but it's good. It's a good, it's a fun experience. You know what it is? Um, also a reminder to me, uh, just about continuing to evolve and take chances, right? This is a risk, uh, a novel. I've never written a novel. It does. And I believe everyone has a book inside of them. What is that book? You know, remains to be seen for some people, but it was, um, it's a different kind of challenge. I mean, listen, two years ago, I challenged myself to have a baby at 100. So I did that. And so this is a new kind of baby in a different way. You're
0: very inspiring hearing you talk about and first of all, you could not look more beautiful every time you say your age. Like I'm basically I'm aging when you say how old you are. I'm like, now I feel 100. (laughs) Because you look so stunning. But uh, no, you're just really it's very inspiring to hear not only your story, but just also your path, you know, and doing everything when it was right for you and not when it was like, I guess, societally considered, right? If that makes sense. But I want to ask you one last question. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about the book, how you did change the narrative a bit for how you wish you had done things when you were going Mm -hmm. through the story. Can you give an example? Because I find that really interesting of one of the things that you didn't do the way that uh, Jordan Manning is doing it. Well, I think, you know,
2: in the book, there's a moment um, where in the newsroom, there's a discussion over why is this case being ignored? Why, why are these black kids being ignored? And early in my career, you know, even now, I mean, the minute you speak up and you know this as a woman, someone's going to label you difficult. Mm-hmm. They're going to label you confrontational. You can say it with the softest voice and squeeze yourself down to the smallest little ball that you can. And inevitably, there will be someone who leaves that room saying she was so intimidating. And so, for me, um, early on in my career, I recognized that as a woman and as a black woman, that it was very easy to lasso a woman with difficult or mm-hmm. angry. And so, I'm in my career. I'm trying to have a long career, and knowing that you strategically shrink yourself down, right? You strategically you make the decision that if I'm going to survive. I have to say nothing. And so there were moments in my career where stories were being covered in a certain way or tropes or stereotypes of women or people of color were spouted off in newsrooms that were largely male, largely white. And I didn't say anything mm. because what are you going to do, right? You're going to speak up and then be unemployed, right? And, and and that was the not just the fear, that was probably the reality. Look at all of the Me Too and all of these people come back with stories that happened 20 and 30 years ago. And people say, well, why did they wait so long? Why do you think they waited so long? And it would have been the end of their career. So for me, speaking up in the way that Jordan is in some ways likely would have ended my career. And I could not have the platform that I have now or could not write this novel to give voice to this character. But also, and I think in any industry that we are in, the older you get, it's not that you don't give a care anymore. It's you learn the power of your voice. So, Jordan is early in her career and she just happened to learn it earlier. Whereas, I probably didn't learn the power of my voice fully until I lost my job. And I was forced to go into meetings and pitch myself to executives I assumed knew had, I'm like, listen, I've been in nominations and I've been on TV a long time, but yet. Um, still question my value right in the marketplace or even question the value of daytime television. There were many times that people would uh, describe women in these very like archaic ways and what women want to watch on TV and what women are interested in. And there were always men in these rooms. I was humored, uh, but also uh, encouraged to speak up and, and to the point where there were meetings, I said, I'm so sorry. What women are you talking about? I wouldn't have done that 20 years ago. I wouldn't have done it 10 years ago. But now I recognize the power of my voice and my experience. And so in Jordan's case, she's in her early 30s, and she has recognized it 10 years plus earlier than I did.
0: I mean, for that alone, buy this book. Because everything you're saying, (laughs) I feel it in my skeleton. Like, it's so true. As the Wicked Watch, the first Jordan Manning novel, again, USA Today, top five must read list is huge. And of course, follow Tamron at Tamron Hall. Those of you in the hashtag TamFam. I love TamFam. And I won't stop saying it. <laughs> Tamron, I'm sorry. The second you said it, I said, well, I'm in the TamFam. Like, who else Yo, is in I it? I love it.
2: And, anybody yeah. can be in the TamFam, but you're at the top. Uh,
0: you're the best. And the book is, is phenomenal. And I'm just really, um, you're just such an inspiring woman. And I want to say thank you for everything you, you do and your incredible show. And now this incredible book as The Wicked Watch. So I can't wait for the next one. But buy this one oh. now. Go Go, go support Tamron and, and read this book Buy It For Friends and Tamron anytime you want to come back here on Sirius we would love to have you
2: I would love to have and thank you so much for the time and the thoughtfulness I know as an interviewer we sit down and, and we just it's people who care and you absorb, you know, this journey. And we've been on similar journeys, mm-hmm. the good of it and the bad of it. And I just appreciate you being so thoughtful.
0: Oh, you're so lovely. Tamron, best friends. We're going to do martinis one day. We're going <laughs> to take you to the Regency. You can bring the bird. Everyone's invited. Tamron, thank you. And guys, we'll see you next week. Have a great one, everybody. Bye. Midnight Snack is an Earwolf production, executive produced by me, Michelle Collins. Our producer is Anita Flores, and our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer. Special thanks to my friend, Dan Acton. You can listen to our ad-free episodes on Stitcher Premium. For a free one-month trial, use the code SNACK. Please rate and review Midnight Snack and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can follow us on Twitter at MNightSnackPod. That's M-N-I-G-H-T-S-N-A-C-K-P-O-D. I I love spelling. Midnight Snackers, we would love to hear from you. Send us your feedback, questions, or topics we should chat about. You can leave us a voicemail on our party line at 331-901-0005 or drop us a line at MidnightSnack at Earwolf.com. For more of me, tune into The Michelle Collins Show, live weekday mornings from 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Radio Andy, Sirius XM 102, and on the Sirius XM app. You can also follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mishcall, M-I-C-H-C-O-L-L.
2: Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: And that's the episode. We hope you loved it. Again, if you want to hear this show every single day, go to www.patreon.com slash mishcall, M-I-C-H-C-O-L-L. You can also follow me on Instagram, X, TikTok, all the things, mishcall, M-I-C-H, C-O-L-L. I'm running myself into the ground for content and I want you to be a part of it. So we'll see you over there. And thanks again for joining us. Bye, guys.